false 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 Welcome back to the Rebel Matters podcast. It's been a few weeks since the last episode. What have you been up to? Um, probably trying to get yourselves back into the swing of some form of normality after the lockdown has been lifted, which is pretty much what I've been doing, and that's why there hasn't been an episode for the last few weeks. I've been just working flat out trying to um, get Ackley back up and running again with the rest of the crew there in Cork City. And you know what it feels like now doing this podcast? Do you ever see when you're outside in the middle of winter and there's a big storm on or the, rain, the wind and the rain and all is blasting you and you're walking down the street and then you step inside your house and uh, or in the a nice warm pub where there's a fire going and nice soft lighting and it's nice and warm and cosy vibes in there and you take your rain jacket off and hang it up on a coat hanger and sit down to have a nice uh, intimate chat with someone it's like a calm straight after a period of mayhem that's what it feels like like right now for me doing this podcast and to be honest with you I'm not even sure if I can do podcasts anymore because it's been so long since I've done one so I'm just sitting here thinking to myself is this going to be completely shite but uh, I'm going to give it a try anyway and sure if it's crap but don't have to put it out and if it's really shite sure hit me up on social media and uh, let me know what you think. <laughs> I was thinking about what to do for today's podcast. It's the six, the seventy sixth episode, and about a year ago, I actually hadn't planned to to do any more than seventy five episodes. It's actually written on the wall in the we office that we have in Ackley, where we write up whatever goals that we're working on at the minute and I have under my name 75 episodes of Rebel Matters podcast which is what we achieved at the end of the last episode with Donald Fallon which got really good feedback by the way so thanks very much for everybody who got in touch but basically we're in bonus territory now with the Rebel Matters podcast because I'd only planned to do 75 episodes and then assess where we were going to go from here but we're going to keep going so don't worry um, that's in large part thanks to everyone who's been getting in touch about the show and giving me feedback and sharing the episode on social media and especially everyone who's been supporting the show on Patreon which is essentially what pays for all the subscriptions and all that kind of crack and that keeps the Rebel Matters podcast on the road. So, Gurukhead Milamagov, Akarja. As I was saying, I was thinking about what we, what we could do for this episode. And I thought, seeing as we're kind of getting stuck into the next round of episodes, I thought I might as well just do a solo run and see how it comes out. The thing about doing the solo runs is... Um, it's kind of daunting because 
you're sitting there thinking you're going to be talking to yourself for half an hour, 45 minutes, or even an hour, if the rambles go on and on. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, what am I going to talk about? Are people going to be bored to tears? Or what? I've got massive respect for people like Finn Dwyer, who does the Irish History Podcast. And um, they're pretty much all solo runs and podcasts like Three Castles Burning that Donald Fallon does. As I was saying, who was the last guest on the show, episode 75. They're both like in a deep wells of knowledge about the things that they're talking about on their episodes and seem to be able to just chat away about them. No bother. And whenever I'm kind of gearing up to do one of these solo runs, there's about a million different things going through my head. Uh, like, for example, how am I going to keep talking for that length of time? And what am I going to talk about? And I always end up doing, I've mentioned it before at the start of the show, <clears throat> what I end up doing a lot of the time before getting uh, started on doing the intros, but it's for the regular podcast when there's a guest, and especially when I'm doing the longer ones, when it's just going to be me sitting there, um, what I, I do is stick an old piece of incense on fire and you know, like let it go on fire so that the smoke goes not on fire. You know what I mean? Smoke. And uh, put a piece of music on and just sit there and listen to it and just let myself really kind of allow the music to sink in so it's the only thing that I am focusing on. And I was doing that just there. I was listening to the Gloaming's tune, which is called Alistrum's March, which is a great tune, and I would recommend going and listening to it. I was listening to it on Spotify, and the other day then I went and got the record that has that track on it, listened to it on vinyl. And when I was doing it there, I was just thinking... There's not that many things. Do you ever see, there's not that, it's kind of hard just to do one thing these days, isn't it? To just focus on listening to one piece of music or just doing one thing and not having other distractions like popping up on your head or appearing on your phone or coming through your computer or whatever. And so I actually had to listen to the track about four or five times before I got myself to the place where I was just able to sit there and let the music sink into me and uh, not be either frantically thinking about something else or checking my phone or messing around with my computer or getting something up in the web browser or stopping to write something down in my notebook. So I just kept listening to it over and over until I got myself into the place where I was kind of had that bit of a singular focus and let the mind calm down a wee bit. And then when that was done, I um, hit record and here we are doing a podcast together. So a little bit of an insight into the uh, the stuff that's going on inside before doing one of these episodes. But anyway, 
thought it, something happened today that kind of triggered me to, to maybe do a podcast where it was just the two of us having the chats together. And what it was, was I was at a really early meeting. Well, it was early enough. It was seven o'clock in the morning. And I was going to bed last night. Around midnight, I realized that I actually left my, my bike in work last night. So I wasn't going to be able to cycle. Which added another 25 minutes onto the time that I had to wake up earlier to walk into town. And... So I just got up at six, got a quick shower, made a cup of coffee, walked into town, had the meeting for a couple of hours. But it was a completely different routine than I, than I normally do in the morning, which since the beginning of the lockdown, the routine that I've had in the morning has been to get up and go and have a cup of coffee and read a wee bit of a book. I'm reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at the minute. I'm nearly finished it. And the other books that I've read recently have been The Shining, which I finished uh, just a couple of days ago, and it's creepy as fuck. The Shining by Stephen King. It was the first horror novel that I ever read, and the reason that I read it was before that I was reading Stephen King's book called On Writing, which was recommended to me by Bridget Gallagher, who some people might know from Ashling Gare Theatre Company in Belfast. But I was really inspired by Stephen King's book On Writing. It's a book that he wrote... It's kind of like half half memoir, half masterclass on how he writes his books. So when I finished reading that, I was like, I have to go and read a couple of Stephen King's books now. So I went and got The Shining and read it. And even creepier than the, than the movie. And I think that the reason it's so creepy is because it goes into way more detail because... It's a thick enough book and you get to know the characters much more. I think you get to kind of feel like there's some of the characters inside of you or you can kind of relate to them in some way. And that makes it more real. That um, one of the main things that I got from the book on writing which is really interesting. Stephen King, paraphrasing here now, probably done a bad job of it as well, but he was basically saying that the thing that makes great fiction is that you tell the truth because if you don't tell the truth, the person who's reading the book will feel that and they won't buy into it, which is I thought was kind of ironic because like, I thought, well, fiction is like completely not the truth because it's made up but I guess that it's that thing when I read The Shining I, I think I kind of could feel what he was what he meant by when he said that because when you read The Shining you can relate to certain situations even though they're a way out there they're like mental and there's really horrible stuff going on but at certain parts along the journey when you're getting to know the characters you can relate to maybe a person uh, in the book one of the characters or you can relate to a certain situation or a kind of interaction and that's what builds up your connection as you're reading through the book anyway those are the books that I've been reading recently um, so in the, since the lockdown began and I was getting up and 
having a cup of coffee, doing a bit of reading. And then uh, thanks to Pater O'Gill who put me onto this, but you know the way when the lockdown started and we were all locked down and couldn't really go out of the house that much? Well, Pater started doing 30 days yoga with Adrian and put me onto it and I started doing it as well. And uh, so I've been, I've been doing it ever since I did the 30 days yoga thing, which is really good for anybody who wants to have something nice and easy and relaxing and really beneficial to do in the morning time. I would recommend doing that. I did a 30 days yoga at the start of the lockdown and then just kept going my own kind of stretching and yoga in the morning. And after that, doing a little bit of meditation and then writing in my journal, which I was planning on talking about in a little while later on and later on in the episode here. <clears throat> but I didn't get to do that this morning because of the meeting this morning. So went off, did the meeting, which was great. And I really enjoyed it. And then cycled up to Fitzgerald Park afterwards and looked at the river for a little while, came home. And then, you know, like the rest of the week and the week before that, I really felt like we were kind of in, I was in the zone with work and helping to get Ackley off the ground again and um, trying to get the, the wheels in motion. But today I just felt like when I came back, and I think maybe that it was because of missing the morning routine, maybe that kind of highlights the effectiveness or the importance of having that kind of routine. But just kind of went, fell into a bit of a funk where I was just procrastinating around the house, the house, and just kind of started feeling um, pretty useless. And uh, my head wanted to be doing something productive, but what was actually happening was I was just sitting on my computer scrolling through my Facebook feed and looking at the news, which is pretty much always depressing and uh, just farting around on the internet and farting around in the house. I really needed to do something, <laughs> really needed to do something uh, for work. So I was trying to figure out a way of getting out of that. Then this is before I started thinking about what I was going to be doing for the podcast because that was in the back of my head as well. I was like, we need to get the episode for the podcast ready today as well because it's coming out tomorrow and it's not ready yet. So anyway, here's me sitting in the house procrastinating, feeling like a bag of crap um, for one reason or another. All right, okay, this is a bit of a challenge here now. Like, let's go here and try and get out of this and see if we can make something productive happen for the day. And obviously I'm sitting here making this podcast now, so I managed to get out of it. And I was thinking that maybe like that would be a nice topic for the podcast itself. Getting out of a funk when you're just sitting in the house feeling like, what the hell? Why can't I get moving here? And to be honest, I think that it's not a bad thing to, for that to happen as well. I was trying not to be too judgmental or hard on myself when it was when it was happening because the last week or two have been fairly hectic with um, Ackley opening on the 29th of June and all the preparations that we did to getting it open and getting it ready for uh, opening and then 
do you know, everyone coming back or whatever in the last week or two and trying to adapt to the new procedures that we have, the new health and safety measures and all that kind of crack, and getting people settled back into their training in our facility in Cork City Centre. And in contrast to the, to the lockdown, the lockdown was all kind of, um, well, I know I'm actually really cautious about talking about this because I'm aware that the lockdown has been different for everybody and that depending on your own personal situation, uh, your your physical situation and the people that you're with and your state of mind and everything, the lockdown has had uh, its impact on us all in different ways, in some ways negative and some ways positive. But there's no way of escaping the fact that it uh, has been... Uh, a significant event in just about everybody's life and then there's people who've gone through this period of time where they're, they're, they've um, had members of their family get really unwell and other people who haven't been able to see their friends and family for a very long time and of course other people who've been bereaved through the whole thing so I'm conscious of of not um, kind of making general general sweeping s- statements when I'm talking about the lockdown. I suppose it's m- more specific to my own situation and then if it's useful for somebody else, uh, then happy days. But I'm very aware that the lockdown has been different for everybody is basically what I'm trying to say. But the lockdown for me, I was in the house here in Cork pretty much by myself for nine or ten weeks after having a pretty intense month or so before that or a month or two before that having been in Palestine setting up Agli Palestine in the last two weeks in February and getting ready for it before that and then going off to America with Kneecap when the absolute arse fell out of the world while we were there and that tour got cancelled all but one gig and then we came back to Ireland and I came back down to Cork and then on the 15th of March and pretty much that was it until sometime in uh, May or whatever end of May I think and then uh, started to kind of see people again or whatever um, more, one of the lads that lives in the house here with us came back and uh, there was a bit of life back into the place but um, in contrast, pretty no. What I was saying there was, I pretty much ha- had it f- fairly easy. I think as as lockdowns go, I was able to take more time to myself. And after the initial shock of, um, being <laughs> in lockdown after having spent pretty much most of the last month sleeping in the same bed as whoever uh was that I was traveling with at a time, whether it was. Alex, over in Palestine, we were sharing a double bed for the guts of the two weeks there. And then when we were in America, we were just bunking in with whoever because we were um, all kind of like bunking and sharing hotel rooms and stuff while we were, we were over there to being back in the house and uh, being able to hear a pin drop after getting over the initial shock of that there and uh, settling into it. It was actually pretty good to be able to have 
some downtime and did a lot of work on the podcast. I think we've got somewhere between 10 and 15 episodes done. I think 15 episodes done during the period of lockdown. Some some weeks we got two episodes done and just got to work on some other stuff that, that I kind of wanted to. We've got renovated Ackley and whenever I was able to start going back in there again, put a cl- uh, rock climbing wall in there, a moonboard, and got new equipment and was able to spend more time playing some tunes and... I think the most positive things f- for the lockdown and from talking to other people, you know, despite the fact that it's affected a lot of people in different ways, I think there's there are some things that like I've heard from other people that they've experienced as well, like being able to pay more attention to the house, obviously spending way more time in the house can result in you, you like pay more attention to how things are laid out and how the flow of energy is in the house. And I definitely did that with my bedroom and the living room and the kitchen in the house that I'm living in in Cork at the minute. And more time to do things that I wouldn't normally do. Things that, you know, when you're in quotation marks busy, that you just kind of throw off to the wayside because they don't seem to be that important whenever you've got the time demands of work and the deadlines and other people kind of depending on you to get stuff done. It nearly seems like, your individual creative pursuits don't seem as important and haven't had the time to spend on those things like playing a few tunes on the flute and uh, just doing some arts and crafts and stuff like that around the house, spending a bit more time designing the layout of my bedroom, for example, and cleaning out stuff that's been there for ages, stuff that didn't really seem to be that important. But actually, when you spend time doing those things, you realise the real value of them because you end up in this state where you're just focusing on one thing like that thing that we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast where it can be really difficult to find opportunities just to focus on one thing or get to the the state of mind where you're just in a relaxed state and content to be working on one thing and for me like that's where having the chance to play a few tunes or learn a new tune or draw a picture just for the crack. That's, you know, a big part of the value of doing that is you just kind of get lost in it and your mind calms down and when you're finished it, like, things that are not important don't seem so urgent anymore, which for me is a really positive thing. And the other thing about the lockdown was, for me... I had to make a more conscious decision to spend time with people because I'm sure maybe other people are have felt the same but when you're able to walk around and everybody's in town and you walk into town and you bump into people and you see people in the in the usual places that you go to during the day whether in work or the cafes that you go to and your day kind of just takes off like that but during the lockdown it's like you have to make an intentional or a conscious decision to spend time with somebody because you have to arrange it online and meet them and, or f- do a phone call or a video call or whatever. But it's still a conscious decision. It's not like you're bumping into people by mistake because of the fact that we're all, we were all inside of our, our own houses. So I actually think that worked out quite well. Anyway, I kind of had a, a, a bit of a positive, um, positive attitude towards it because I ended up... Sp- 
having some really long conversations with people that mightn't necessarily have had those conversations with again because of all the other stuff that would have been going on, all the supposedly really important things that would have been um, zipping around in the mind were no longer there to a large extent. So left that space for long conversations on Zoom by candlelight drinking cans of beamish <laughs> and not worrying about having to get up the next morning <laughs> so those were pre- pretty positive things and if anything else it was definitely a case of um, definitely a case of life taking a slower pace for an extended period for a much more extended period than most of us have ever experienced before in our adult lives which I think in many ways can be a positive thing and as I was saying I know that everyone experienced it different differently and everyone had their, their own situations but that's just my own individual perspective on it but then when the lockdown started coming to an end it was as if there was a tornado approaching <laughs> no like the tornado in Wizard of Oz it's like you could see it coming because you knew that the period of the slower pace of life was potentially going to end up getting sucked up by the big tornado and you're going to end up getting flung around and everything was just going to go at a really high pace and uh, you were going to kind of like lose control of, of that route, all the routines that you had built up during the lockdown and the time you had to spend more t- to do more creative things and all that kind of stuff was potentially going to get destroyed by this oncoming um, twister that represents going back to in quotation marks normal life and one of the most uh, one of the most kind of um, kind of, what was it that would be the word when the lockdown started our house is right by the main road that comes in from the east from East Cork to the city centre it's a really nice view actually I'm looking at it now I can see the real road and then there's the main road that comes in from East Cork into the city centre and it's the main road that comes in from Dublin as well actually and then there's the river and then there's the marina on the other side it was very surreal to see the road completely empty because it nearly no matter what time of day I was going to go into town on my bike I nearly have to stand there for about five minutes before I could get a gap in the traffic to get out on the road to cycle into town and then the lockdown started it's like you could cycle up the middle of the road if you wanted to and there was no chance of getting hit by a car and definitely I felt that phenomenon where you could hear the birds singing more clearly and I've heard many people uh, saying that that was the case for them as well you could definitely hear that right here and it took a while to get used to that and then you acclimatized to whatever but whenever the lockdown started to lift the traffic started coming back and the noise started coming back and even the pollution you can feel the difference in the air when there's all the lorries and the buses and the cars are driving past you in a string and you can feel that the air is different now 
and all that kind of wrapped up represents that kind of impending feeling of impending doom with the twister getting closer and closer and then since going back to work then for sure and I'm, I'm not saying like it's been good going back to work i've loved it i've loved meeting people who have been coming back to actually and getting stuck in with the team again and the challenge of rebuilding the business which was going quite well before the lockdown to being completely decimated and reworking the systems and refining things and bringing in the new procedures and you know getting to spend time with people and seeing people coming in and stuff like that there and having the chats which is what it's all about like you know having that experience with other people uh, we're all kind of off on our own individual journeys and then in our little training center in the middle of Cork City where we've got a really nice open space and um, a space where people come to work on their health and come together and check out the books and all that kind of stuff where we kind of cross paths and have the crack together. It's pretty brilliant, so I'm not complaining about it in any shape or form, but the thing that came to mind this morning and this afternoon when I was trying to get myself out of that funk was that it's fucking mental when that when you start going back to that when you're going from the place where you're basically just sitting in your sitting in your house by yourself and you you have like you're just kind of chilling the bean to your the phone starts getting more active and there's more people around and there's more traffic around and there's the hustle and bustle of living in the city and the everyday hustle of trying to rebuild the business all kind of accumulates and eventually then which is this is what i've certainly experienced over the last number of years it catches up with you then like there's no way of keeping the hustle going every single day you can hustle and then you have to take a break and then you can hustle again and what happens when you don't take a break is you can't hustle anymore it's like revolution 101 you kind of like go to the front line, the metaphorical front li- front line, and you put your heart and soul into it. And then you retreat for a while to lick your wounds and recuperate, have nice food, drink some water, and have some recreation time. And then when you're ready, you go back on the front line again. But when you don't engage with that cycle and you just kind of try and be on the struggle 24-7 all the time, then you get stressed out. Your body gets physically stressed out and your brain gets mentally stressed out. And then you have meltdown. <laughs> and then you're no good for anybody, for yourself, or for whatever thing you're fighting for or struggling for. So whenever the time comes, whenever you're not feeling like you're as sprightly or as ready for the hustle as you usually are. A lot of the time that's just your body and your mind telling you to take a chill pill and accept the way things are and give yourself a pat on the back for the hard work that you've done and go and do something nice for yourself. The thing is like the struggle's always there, so you take a break and then 
get your shoulder back to the wheel whenever the time is right. And just kind of letting go of the pressure as well. I think that's the starting point, to be honest, actually. I think when you're feeling like that, the first thing to do is just to accept, acknowledge and accept the way that you're feeling as being okay. Letting go of the pressure to kind of uh, meet your meet your ego's expectations or your your mind's expectations of yourself because a lot of the time they're not really that connected to your instincts. A lot of the time your instincts are the things that are telling you to take a break and your ego or your mind is the thing telling you to fucking wise up and get back to work. And I think from the lockdown that's one thing that maybe a lot of us have probably felt a bit of a recalibration and reconnected with our, our bodies in a way that we can listen to it uh, a bit more um, sensitively or whatever way you want to put it. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like when you're feeling like shit and then you're kind of beating yourself up for feeling like shit because you think you should be doing something productive. That's what I'm talking about. I think you know what I mean. So for me anyway, a part of trying to get past that is just accepting the way things are at the time. And then, of course, like, as time goes on then, you feel like there's a spark of something inside you that feels like it's ready to get back. And how do you do that? And that's kind of what I started thinking about doing the podcast about today says your man 35 minutes into it and now we're getting to the point so here's me sitting in the house anyway as I was saying earlier on thinking how am I gonna get myself in the nice positive frame of mind so I was just thinking fuck it just do something like just do something really simple and that doesn't require an awful lot of thought and whenever I start thinking about those things I feel like I'll just go for a run because we can just put a pair of shorts on and a pair of shoes and just go outside the door and go for a jog. So I started getting ready to do that. And as luck would have it, I got a phone call from my mate, Shiva. And uh, I was like, delighted to get the phone call. And I was just like, here, I've just got my runners on. Just been sitting in the house, uh, feeling medium at best for the last few hours. I'm just going to go out for a run here. And we had a chat together anyway. And uh, that was really nice as well. So that's one thing you could do is uh, get a surprise phone call from one of your mates. But if that doesn't happen, or I suppose you could phone someone as well. But the first thing that I was thinking is a good way to help yourself snap out of um, feeling kind of not yourself is to go for a wee jog or a walk or just do something kind of physical where you're sweating. A run is kind of my go-to because it doesn't require having to like get gym gear together and go to the gym and change and do the session and then come back again and you just go out of the house and poof, do it so if you like running and uh you respond well to it then that's not a bad start but you can always just go for a walk or i suppose jumping into the sea as well would probably have the same effect if you live right by the ocean and then when i came back i was sweating got a shower feeling a bit better and then I thought to myself, the next thing to do now is to have a bit of stillness and just 
sit there and let things be for a while. Even though there was still a lot of stuff going on in my mind about what I wanted to do for the rest of the day and what I was going to do for the podcast and all that kind of crack. Just sitting thinking to myself, like it's not going to make any difference for the next five minutes if I just leave that aside for a little while and just sit here and do a bit of breathing. And I kind of have a few different ways that I call upon to do um, to practice the stillness. And funnily enough, so the first one was just to sit there and just do breathing in and out, breathe in the nose and out the mouth nice and slow. And the first time <laughs> I was over in Palestine, I was uh, in the church of the nativity which is where jesus was born in bethlehem and i was coming out and i thought to myself do you know what now this is the perfect place to buy my granny a pair a set of rosary beads so i bought her this we set of wooden rosary beads and i mean sitting in my bedroom since then for about two years they were sitting in my bedroom in a wee brown paper bag and then i just started to think to myself like rosary whoa I don't know if you've heard that, but there's a massive ship going past the window down the river there. That was just honking its horn. <laughs> but anyway, these rosary beads were sitting in my bedroom for the best part of two years. I was thinking, they're definitely good for helping with meditation as well. So I was doing this breathing, but I was never, you know, never knew when it was enough or when I could stop doing it. Or like, do, do you stop after like 10 breaths or like 100 breaths or five minutes or whatever? So I just started doing it with the rosary beads and just like doing a breath and moving the beads through my, fin- through my hand and then holding the next bead and then moving it on and then holding the next bead and moving it on. Anyway, I was practicing that for a while as one of the ways of practicing stillness. And then I thought to myself here, I better give these rosary beads to my granny. So I actually sent them to her in a letter when the lockdown started because... My friend Stella, who you can check out at Aluna Crafts on Instagram, made me a, a flipping set of meditation beads. It's got 108 beads on them, so I've been using that. We had it with me the whole time we were over in Palestine doing the setting up the gym over there and stuff. So that's one way I just do breathing exercises while I'm moving the beads through my fingers. And the great thing about it is when you've done a full, a full circuit, you know, because there's a big massive bead at the end. So you know, you've done a full one and then that's it. You kind of like can stop guilt free or you can do another one. So I've been doing that and I've just been using this little, uh, mantra, I suppose. Maybe it's not even a mantra. I don't know. Just saying spas in between every breath. So like breathe in and then breathe out spas like that and do that. 108 times lads just side note there's a massive ship going past the window here a big orange one called lady anna and it looks like it's from holland and it's sailing into the port of cork that's one way i was practicing stillness and another way is something that i've had on the show before is um doing a little bit of the sound bowl we meditation bowl actually got it right here and just listening to the sound until it fades away and you can't hear it anymore. A couple of those really nice way I've taken a wee time out. And yeah, so I just did that. Actually, after I did the, the run, I had a shower and sat there for a while and just 
had a little bit of stillness to myself and create a bit of space. As I've, lads, I read this book, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. If you've heard about it, my brother Carver got off me for my birthday. And the way that Eckhart Tolle describes this, I think, again, paraphrasing, I'm probably doing a bad job. I recommend just going and reading that book. And rather than, rather than uh, dependent on my interpretation of it, but the way that I interpreted it was that doing by doing those kind of little moments of stillness or wee meditations that you're kind of creating a space between all the mad thoughts that are bouncing around in your head like a pinball machine and yourself that you're kind of separating yourself from thoughts a little bit which is a really nice feeling when you do it because you realize that like a lot of the shit that you're thinking about actually is not that important well not the shit that you're thinking about the shit that i was thinking about you know what i mean so i did that afterwards and then I got my, my journal lit, which is just like a notebook with um, a load of blank pages in it. And just kind of started writing whatever came out. Kind of like, I guess you, you call it kind of stream of consciousness, but that just means you just write whatever comes into your head. That's all that, what that is. From as far as I can understand it. So I just did that for a while. And then... Uh, you ever see the way when you've got loads of stuff in your head that's kind of like seem like they're blocking your energy? There's really small things that you want to do that aren't really that important, but just loads of small things that are clogging your brain up. Just wrote down a list of all those things, like send this person an email or um, put my clothes in the washing machine and all that kind of stuff. Just made a little list of all those things. Normally, like probably get them all done in about 15 minutes. Uh, the amount of time that it takes to actually do them is completely out of proportion to the amount of space that those wee things take up inside your brain. So for me, like just writing those things down on a list, that even just by itself <laughs> makes them seem a little bit, uh, puts them back in their place a little bit. But then I just look at it and be like, oh, here, I can do all those things within 20 minutes. I'll just do them now and I don't have to worry about them anymore. And then um, in the journal then, I just... Uh, made a little list of the things that, that I wanted to do and kind of prioritised them, which this podcast episode was at the top of the list. So I just made a list of the other things, the kind of bigger things that were in my head to do with what I actually wanted to achieve with the kind of creative or productive tasks for the day and then just put a number one beside the most important one, which was this podcast for today and just kind of built up to doing that. But oh, sorry, another thing that I did after I did the stillness thing, I was going to do the journaling at home. But then I was like, sure, I'll just get on my bike and cycle over to a wee pond that's across the river, the Atlantic Pond. I just sat there and did it. And sometimes you just change your immediate surroundings. It makes a huge difference. It just kind of snaps, can snap you out of your current state of mind a wee bit. If you, especially if you go somewhere where there's you no know, nature or whatever. And I was over there and there was ducks and swans and all flapping around and chilling there being in the pond there and I just sat by the pond and did that bit of journaling over there actually and so changing your location is a good way to do it just going somewhere slightly different actually it's really nice doing it in a cafe as well I don't know why that is that I kind of work quite well in cafes obviously that's not really an option these days because most cafes are still closed but I think it's just because there's kind of like low level stuff happening around in the cafes 
but at the same time you're kind of in there just anonymous because everyone's just going on out doing their own thing and you're just sitting in a corner so I don't know what it is about that that uh, helps me work but definitely works used to anyway whenever we were able to go into cafes so after I got that little list of things that I wanted to do the podcast was the main one for today and I just put it in my schedule and I also put into the schedule when I was going to take a break and um, stuff like that you know it's important to schedule work stuff but it's also probably even more important to schedule when you're not working your rest time or the time that you're going to cook food or go and do something like outside or whatever it works for me anyway and then after the schedule was done all that remained was to just jump into whatever that one thing was that most important thing that you're after picking out and I was doing this while I was doing this I could feel like myself feeling a little bit better and having a little bit more energy but I still wasn't sure if it was going to work and you know it must have worked because we're 46 minutes into this podcast and um, I feel like it's not uh, as completely shite as I thought it was going to be at the very beginning but as I was saying hit me up if you think it is no worries <laughs> either way <laughs> um, and as a side note one major thing if you want to try and get yourself into a creative flow is to put your phone in a different room stay away from it or if you can't physically stay away from it, just switch it off for a while or stick it on airplane mode. Like, I don't know about yous, but my phone, it's like a creativity sucker. See, just having it um, and having it at hand, it's kind of like the, you know, sometimes it turns into the default thing to just whip it out and look at one of the social media apps or internet browser or one of the news sites or something like that there. And when that happens, it just it takes me out of the present moment or takes my eyes off something that may be very beautiful like if I was sitting by that pond or whatever looking at my phone I miss the swans trains just gone past there miss the swans and the ducks and miss being able to look at the trees and it's funny because like I love looking at trees I really like looking at trees and somehow my phone ends up being the, the focus point sometimes you know but then when I catch myself doing it I try and stop doing it and then look up and see what's happening around me and then have this little moment of realization that it's way more beautiful to look at a tree moving in the wind I'm actually looking at one right now across the river <laughs> than just looking at whatever random stuff is uh Facebook decides to show you on your news feed and as I was saying here we are making this podcast so for me like it's been a very successful day because of the fact that I had the opportunity to um, try and overcome that challenge of feeling like a wet sack of potatoes earlier on to get myself to the place where I was ready to make this podcast for you tonight and now we're drawn to the end of the podcast so I'm happy anyway here 
another thing I was going to mention. Did any of you end up making some mad purchases during the lockdown? I don't know if it's because just like spending more time in the house and having more time to think about really weird things to, to get or <laughs> things to make the lockdown a little bit more entertainment entertaining or whatever but um, at the very beginning of the lockdown I ended up buying two sheepskin rugs from Connacht Hide and Wool who I first seen at the Ballymanoo Craft Fair a couple years ago and uh, they, were, they were like 100 euro each or something like that there but um, really comfortable sheepskin rugs who would have thought and ended up getting a water filter as well for the house Um because it got it into my head that it would be better to filter the water that's coming into through the pipes in Cork City and turns out the water through the filters is delicious. It's a bone, bone charcoal filter. It's got two bone charcoal filters in it and uh, does a really good job in making the water taste delicious. And I got a new backpack amongst a couple other things. The backpack was next level though. Just feel like a little teenage mutant ninja turtle now going out of the house packing up a bag for a wee adventure at the start of the day, heading off on my roar. And I got a pair of Vivo shoes. And of all things, a didgeridoo that I've been learning recently. Um, I actually have it here. I'll try, hang on. I'll try and make a sound out of it. Stay there. Just going to go over here and get it. That's the didgeridoo. Fully had not intended on doing that on the podcast here. But it was just sitting there while I mentioned it, so why not? Anyway, Cardi Girl, I think that's me for the night. Um, thanks a million for... <laughs> if you're still listening to this, <laughs> fair play to you. Gura Mila Mwagat. Next week's episode is going to be uh, with a guest. And uh, I'm really looking forward to making the next batch of Rebel Matters podcast episodes. And, you know, it literally feels like I've been sitting here talking to someone, talking to the collective Rebel Matters audience and also just talking to one person for the last... 52 minutes or whatever so go to Kevin Lamaigov for being there and um, seriously like hit me up on social media let me know how things are going and uh, keep her lit and you know yeah just keep her lit <laughs> I suppose what else is there to say but there's a bit of a uh, the last of the name after the outro music here as well. Going to the next chapter of that book that we're reading before before we took the break on the podcast. So be nice to yourselves, lads. And probably one of the most loving things that you can do is uh, cut yourself a break and be nice to yourself. So, by my kind of and chocolate choking, a cardigan girl. Can you give your eye a good slang foil?
this chapter of Charles McGlinsey's Last of the Name is called Cures and Spells. In the olden times, there were very few ailments in man or beast that the old people had the cure for. They worked greatly with herbs, and old Dr. Megalini of Tulla said there was a cure of some kind in every plant that grows if people only knew it. Some of the cures they went in for were only piss rogue or superstitious. Very few people going now know how to make the cure for the rose. Anne Roddy was a good hand at it, and so was Hugh D. Bon McElhinney, and lots more. Donald Roddy learned how to make it from Ono Kerrigan himself. Owen said there were nine different kinds of the rose, and that the poultice was made up of nine different things. The root of the stinking Roger, a rose noble, the daisy plant roots and leaves, fern leaves, docking leaves, primrose leaves, and woodbine leaves, and pennywort leaves. These were all grounded together and heated in a pot, and then the poultice was ready. Dr. Thompson, nephew of Reverend Thompson, had great belief in the cure and had all the herbs grown in his garden. There's a small bush called the gibber agar, probably a type of juniper, that grows in dry, hilly places. It burns like fur in the fire when it's withered. The she kind has green berries all over it, but the he kind has no berries at all. They say if the berries and the leaves are boiled, the water is good for people that are run down or have bad blood. They mend well after it. There's a great virtue in the broom too. If the tops of the branches are boiled, they're a great cure for dropsy or swelling that would come from the kidneys. There's a he kind and a she kind of broom too. Another great cure for kidney trouble was ridge agach, bog myrtle, and it was used like the broom. Grunless or groundsel, heated over the fire and applied like a poultice, gave great ease in cases of gravel. Kran Kishna, quince, was good for healing the inside. Fanon, or colt's foot, was good for a cough, and I heard of farabin, or crowfoot, being used as a poultice, but I forgot what it was for. People before this used to smoke mugweed leaves, and as far as I remember, it was for people that lost the appetite. They smoked it in a pipe like tobacco. For cuts and sores, I often use St. Patrick's leaf, or as some people call it, the healing leaf. You just chewed it up and put it on the cut. A cobweb on a bleeding cut helped the blood to freeze and stop the bleeding. If there was a bleeding or a stony bruise that needed drawn, the leaf of the foxglove warmed over a coal, drew out whatever poison was in it. The bugless leaf, ox tongue herb, was used in the same way. The lick of a dog's tongue was good, <laughs> was good for a cut or a sore that wasn't healing upright. There's a cure in the dog's tongue. The fox tongue was supposed to have great draw, drawing powers. When a fox was caught, somebody always wanted the tongue. At a time when the pigs or cattle were killed, the bladder was blown up and dried, and there's nothing better for a cut heel or a toe than a piece of the pig's bladder. Oak bark was a great cure for sore feet. The bark was steeped in water for a day or two, and the water was good for hardening the skin of the feet in the summertime. In my young days, every house pulled bogbine in the springtime. It was for the bogbine roots, and they were boiled and mixed with treacle and sulphur. This was a well-tried remedy for purifying the blood. The blood gets out of order in the springtime. Bogbine is used till the present day. I heard of women stewing the tea plant the same way as you'd make tea. It grows on the roadside with a puce flower. 
It was used for growing for growing girls that weren't too strong and that might take the decline, which was tuberculosis. I heard of lots of cures for warts, a hole of water on a rock, if you come on it without looking, looking for it, the juice of a jaggy plant that grows in sandy places called the Seven Brothers or the Seven Sisters. Other people rubbed a snail on the wart, and I heard of people getting cured of warts at St. Colum as well in Binion. The same well cured cows that weren't becoming that weren't becoming tidy or in calf. Paddy O'Grotty one time had a sore under the chin that was getting worse and spreading. A travelling woman called in the Roddy's one day to roast a meal of potatoes for herself and noticed Paddy with his chin bandaged. She went out, she went out and gathered a handful of cruttle or lynching off the rocks and made a poultice of it. That one poultice left him all right. Travelling people knew a lot that way. There was more of them going around long ago with the bad times and the evictions and party trouble. A lot of them took to the roads and it was the workhouse at the rear with them. The old people all maintained there was a cure for the evil on the seventh son. The sons had to be in a row without any daughters in between. Before my time, Billy Moore of Alta Hall was a seventh son and the people were coming from far and near to get cured. The clergy didn't approve of it, but you'd think if the cure was born with a body, there would be no harm in using it. There was a cure in the seventh daughter too, if no sons, be- if no sons came in between. There were seven daughters in Carrigans, and one of them, Anna Goo, married Paddy Moore Ruddy, and they had five daughters. There was a man from Bart named Young, who used to have cattle grazing with the Ruddies, and he asked Paddy what was the reason he had so many daughters. Paddy Moore said it was on the townland it was. The Ruddies and the Carrigans lived in the same townland. If people took a pain in the pit of the stomach and it lasted for weeks, that meant the spool of the breast had fallen. It came from a hurt or if if a man stressed himself. A bone or gristle below where the ribs meet in front was supposed to fall in and press in the stomach. The cure for this was to lift the spool of the breast. Paddy Doherty could do it. He put a penny on the spot and a short candle sitting on the penny. The candle was lit and a tumbler put upside down over the candle and kept close to the skin till the candle was smothered for want of air. That drew up the skin a bit into the tumbler and that helped to lift the spool of the breast from on top of the stomach. For the heart, I always heard that the best thing was du Cossack. This was a small fern that grew on the fence of a rock, on the face of a rock. It was about as wide as your two fingers and had a thin black stem. It grows high up on the side of Bulaba on a high rock facing north. There was a chemist from Derry one time who used the Ducosac as he claimed it did him good. Another plant that was good for the heart is one you get growing about Wallsteads. It grows tall with light green leaves. I heard it called the coffee plant. The plant most used for the heart was Buller or Watercrest. It was good for the, it was good for man or beast. I heard of a stirk that was poorly one time and couldn't go to the hill with the other cattle. It grazed about the river and ate a lot of wild buller and soon mended up and went with the rest. Some short time after it was got some short time after it was got drowned in a bog hole. When they skinned and opened it up, a new heart was found growing beside the old one, about the size of a small sculchine of a potato. People ate buller too, and it gave many a body a new life. The cradan or burdock root was used by people bothered with wind on the stomach. They say people with that complaint 
get great ease drinking the water the Cradon root was boiled in. The old people had a cure for the chin cough or the whooping cough. The child with the chin cough was put over and under a donkey three times. Two people did that, two people did that one handling the child over to the other. The donkey would get some oaten meal to eat and the child would put a fingerful of what the donkey had the child would get a fingerful of what the donkey had left. They say that there's a blessing on a donkey on account of the cross it had on its back. I was put over and under a donkey, but I don't remember if it was any good or not. I was only two or three years at the time. The old people also gave mare's milk and a bad case of chin cough. It eased the cough greatly. Children used to take a skin disease called kivyach. It was a kind of a rash. They got it from running about or playing over the graves of dead-born children. The cure for kivyach was three hanks of green lint. The child was put through the hanks from right to left. There was a graveyard of that kind in Drimenech and one at Binion and at Ardner Runnan, one in the Isle at Polahuta and at Garan <laughs> Garan Aherna in Minahay. The cure for mumps they would put on a donkey's halter on the child. To cure the mumps, they put <laughs> to cure the mumps, they would put a donkey's halter on a child and take him to the river that flowed between the two quarterlands and rubs some of the water on his neck. There was a cure for the decline too. That was common in my early days. They gathered seven stalks of she lint or furry lint, seven stalks of the Dukosak, and seven more of the Batakogi, the black knapweed. These were pounded together and mixed with seven meters or noggins of water lifted from a place where three waters met. All were heated in a cam, that's a piece of an old pot, and two spoonfuls given to the brochachan, or the patient, on his fast every morning for seven weeks. There's a small plant called the shamrawira, or the clover, and it was always considered lucky to carry about in your pocket. The story the old people had on it was this. There were three times that our Lord defeated the Jews. The last time... He was hunted with his own house and he went in the front door and out the back and told the Blessed Virgin to remain inside. The chase was close behind him and when he got outside the back door, he stepped to one side and lifted a shamrawira and held it in his hand. That made him invisible and the Jews went rushing past him and never saw him. It's blessed since that time. That was the story the old woman used to tell. There was a lot of knowledgeable men in time ago with cattle and horses Ono Kerrigan was a good cow doctor. I would know how to look at the beast, if it would get better or not. Times he wouldn't bother rising off the stool he was sitting on. That cow was done. He had some cure, they say, for the foot and mouth disease, for he cured cattle belonging to a man in Drumfries. When Owen came back to his own march, he wouldn't cross the brook in his own cut till he took him down other clothes to put on him. He changed there for fear he'd take the disease into his, ta- his, own ta- his own land. After a hard winter, cattle would be very far through by the time the new grass came. They were a rickle of skin and bone. People said they were a lifting. At that time of the year, some heifers and sturks would get a week back and would have to be helped up on their feet if they were lying. In my day, that was called ship tail. And the remedy was to make a small cut in the tail between the fifth and sixth joints down from the rump and tie a poultice of garlic and butter on the cut. I saw that done often. 
If it was a milking beast, you could taste the garlic on her milk that night. Cattle that got at a fit of potatoes often got choked when a round potato stuck in her throat. I saw that potato broken with two small flagstones, but other handy men could work it up with their two thumbs. Some cows, after a heavy feed, got all swelled up. Their sides were up higher than their backbones. The remedy for that was stabbing. A man would put his thumb on the left hurdy or hip and stretch his hand in the direction of the front shoulder and where his middle finger stretched to, that was the spot. He stabbed the cow in the spot with a sharp knife, a short knife and let out the gas. The swelling then went down. Lots of cows were cured that way, but I didn't see a cow stabbed for over 30 years. Other cow doctors had a sort of water gun made of a bull tree or an elder stick and gave enemas with it. There was a good cow doctor in Tulla and there was one time he took a whip handle, a tether and a tether stick out of a cow through her side and left her as well as ever again. Down to my father's time, people went in greatly for piss road cures. The old people were badly led by superstitions. For bats, lumps and calves and stucks, people used to put a lint thread round the beast's body and tie it over the back with a special knot called top. If the knot ravelled out straight again, that was going to be the cure. But if it got knotted and didn't run out, there was little hope for that animal. Some cattle took a sickness and stood up all, stood up, all gathered up with a hump on their back and stopped chewing the cud. People said they were shot by the furries. It was only a tidy cow took that ailment. The furries were supposed to shoot the cow so as to take her milk from her when she would calve. The remedy was to burn gunpowder on the cow's back. The powder was placed in three places, on the hurdy, the small of the back and the top of the shoulder. Then the man took a piece of burning coal in the tongs and put it under and over the cow's body three times and lit the powder each time it was crossing over the back. For some other sickness in a cow, not chewing the cud or something, a briar that had its two ends growing in the ground was got and passed around the cow's body three times in the name of the Father, of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Then you hit her on the stomach with your cap. Nan McElhenney used to cure cattle with the briar. I always heard you should never strike a cow with a holly stick. Holly and hazel are two trees that are gentle or enchanted. The people used to have a rhyme. Holly and hazel went to the wood. Holly took hazel home by the lug. That meant that holly was the master of the hazel. Sheep used to take a disease, a disease called gallernagat or the cat's disease. The ears hung down. The cure for this was to bleed the points of the ears. Dalamlug was, was a blindness that came over a sheep's eyes. They used to cure it by bleeding below the eyes and later on by blowing alum into the eyes with a straw. The old people were very careful about sheep's wool. They had a box or a basket in the corner for bits of wool. If there was any land about the floor, they were careful not to burn it. They said that was unlucky and that the sheep wouldn't thrive with anybody who burned wool. I always heard if you didn't treat animals kindly, they wouldn't do well with you. In my grandfather's time, pigs were very plentiful and litters used to graze about the hill. The year of the deer summer, 1817, there was no sale on young pigs. A man had two litters and he dug a pit in the moss and buried them. He couldn't get a pig to thrive with him after that. The people used to say that iron made in the forge was blessed. They never passed a piece of iron on the road without lifting it and putting it on the ditch or on a stone the way it wouldn't be lost or trampled on. The old women always put the tongs of a bar of iron over the cradle where the child was sleeping if they had to leave the house for a short while.
That was against the furries. The old people in my young days nearly all believed in witches, being able to take the milk from a neighbour's cow or the butter from a neighbour's churn. May morning was a great day for the witches. Most of the old women used to put up a maypole in the evening before. They gathered a bunch of posies in the woods or about the ditches and tied it onto the end of the long rod and stuck this up in the, in the midden. They always made sure to have a piece of wind bush along with the flowers. The maypole would be left for a day or two. None of the old people would give away a drop of milk to anybody on the May Eve. Anyone looking for milk that evening would be hunted. At calving time, the first milk had to be milked into a noggin with some silver in the bottom of it, a shilling or a half crown. Lots of people used to rub cow dung on a new calf's nose. All these were remedies against the witches taking away the cow's milk. They say that before this, witches were able to turn themselves into animals, hers commonly. All the old people had the story of a witch that was in the parish and had no hound, and that no hound could take her when she turned herself into a hare. They say that Father James Doherty put a ribbon round the hound's neck one day and the hound took her. When the hunt overtook them, they found this woman sitting under a thorn bush and her heel bleeding. Most of the people believed in the evil eye and you'll come across people yet. If a man had a fine thriving heifer, somebody might blink her and maybe she'd fall down a bend or get lost in a bog hole or take some bad ailment. The person who blinked the heifer would grudge her to the man that owned her or wished him ill of her. Or wished, wished him ill of her. Some people were supposed to have, have the power of blinking more than others and they say that people can blink without knowing they're doing it. I remember when my father long ago would be reading through the old Irish catechism and would come to the seven deadly sins. He often came out with an old saying about the envy or ill will. It was... Tnu dini kuruse mart na kura ogasfar na kille. The ill will of people could send a bullock to the pot or a man to the graveyard. That wasn't in the catechism, of course, but I wouldn't be too sure there's not some truth in it. The remedy against the evil eye was to tie a bit of red ribbon or thread or cloth somewhere about the animal. I remember myself at the old fair of Ballyliffin when half of the cattle there would have a bit of red yarn about them to keep the drug hool or the evil eye off them. They had strong notions too about things being lucky and unlucky. They would say it wasn't lucky to sweep out the house on New Year's Day or to meet a red-haired woman on the road or to turn back to the house after starting out on a journey. Some of the old people were greatly led by superstitions of all kinds. Fishermen were greatly given to superstition. My mother was telling me that an Irish if they were turning the boat around, they always turned the nose of the boat round with the sun. The crew was always particular that no white stones were ever put into the boat for ballast. And while on the sea, none of the crew would ever point another boat with a finger, but with a whole hand. Whistling was never allowed on a boat. They say too that the water and blood of fish that would be lying in the bottom of a boat were very powerful against the spirits of the sea. The old people could point, point out the road she, or the furry road, where the spirits always travelled. It was three waves close together, one after the other, and it was dangerous for a boat till the third wave had passed. Third wave had passed. It was the road she that put down an Isle of Doe boat in 1847, when the whole crew was lost. In one of the houses that night, a hen crowed twice and someone struck her with a stick and killed her. They say that the first two crows got the boat over the first two waves of the road she, 
and that if they, if they had let her crow the third time, the boat would have survived the third wave. The women thought it was the spirits of the sea that took the men away and that they, that they might get back. Every night for a long time, they put roasted potatoes in the salt box for the men in case they happened to get back home for a night. But whenever blood appeared on the men's old shoes, that was a sign that they were gone for good. I always heard, too, that an overabundant crop out of all measure is a bad sign and comes before big changes. I knew a farm in the Glen where they set potatoes on a bit of bad ground and it threw a remarkable crop. But before the next crop came off the ground, the man himself was dead. And soon after, his wife died. And want and misery followed. If three or four cows about a place were to calve, and the calves to be all the same kind, all bull calves or all cow calves, people would take it for a bad sign. It's a thing I wouldn't like myself. I always heard that a miss the size of a grave in a field of corn or potatoes was a sure sign of death. I noticed it happen, happening myself. My mother told me a, a relation of hers got married in Irish. And next season, there was a miss in the potatoes the size of a grave with one top growing in the middle of the empty spot. People going at the present time don't pay much as much heed to signs like these as they did in times ago. But that doesn't say that they're any wiser for it.